so much for tuning in. This is Never Better, a show that never gets any better. I am Spencer, your host, you know, from earlier. And as you might have guessed by the fact that I'm using my radio voice to address you now, which I cannot do if there's anybody within 50 feet of me, I am utterly alone this week. It's just me. So if that is going to be a problem for you, and I suspect for many of you, it may be, you might as well shut this down right now. However, for those of you brave enough to forge ahead with me, let's get right on into it. I should say, we could have recorded two days ago. We had the time, but we all decided that we'd rather go grab drinks someplace instead. There are those who would say that that is a bad move. I myself, personally, would not be so hasty to characterize things that way, but that's just one man's opinion. The point is, Given that I thought we were going to put out an episode, I have a pretty robust framework for said episode, and I'm just going to run through it solo to the best of my ability and the best of your patience. Let's see how far we get. Item one. This is actually from a segment that we haven't done in a long time because I got the feeling nobody else enjoyed it the way I did. One of my more um, embarrassing hobbies is digging back through old newspapers, very old, as you've probably gathered if you've listened to the first few episodes of the show where that was a recurring feature. And every now and again, I dig up something that I feel other people might be as entertained by as I am, such as the following from the 18th of January, 1920, in the Chicago Tribune, the front page even. The headline, Ouija board to Frank leads to $10,000 lawsuit. Subhead, neighbors split by burgled raisins, etc., You may have heard of the Ouija board, that weird piece of polished wood embellished with all the letters and all the numerals and the words yes and no and patented. You move a heart-shaped planchette delicately over its surface, and the spirits guide it to the letters that spell out the answer to your question. It's the yes-yes board, we being French and ja, German. But you ask it, am I going to get a million dollars? And it always says no. The new bungalow of Mr. and Mrs. Albert Yost in Lockport, Illinois, is furnished with one of these boards. The Yosts go in quite a bit for spiritualism and belong to a spiritualistic society. Mr. and Mrs. Yost and Mr. and Mrs. Frank Walter, all of Lockport, were the best of friends until recently. They belong to old families, attend the same lodges, church, parties, and all that sort of thing. So the other day, when Mrs. Walter announced her candidacy for Oracle of the Royal Neighbors Lodge, What was more natural than that she should look to her friend, Mrs. Yost, for support? And to her surprise, Mrs. Yost opposed her and was elected. Mrs. Walter immediately set about to learn the cause of this peculiar act. Now, suppose we hurl the rest of the yarn bluntly at the reader by saying, On the night of November 15th, 
The new bungalow of the Yosts at Lockport was entered by burglars and looted of a small sum of money, a bunch of groceries, and twenty-five pounds of raisins. On Thanksgiving night, the Yosts invited a party of friends, and during the evening they brought out their Ouija board to entertain the crowd. Someone asked the board, Who burgled our house? The planchette hesitated, it is declared, and then spelled out, The Walter family. It was not long after this that Mrs. Yost was elected oracle in her lodge, defeating her former friend, Mrs. Walter, and all Lockport began to talk, especially about the twenty-five pounds of raisins and their probable use in this dry weather. This is me here. More on that later. Mrs. Walter, having heard these stories, visited her attorney, William R. McCabe. He... There's a four-line dash here. I don't know what they were doing back in 1920 in the newspaper, but anyway, it, it literally goes, He, well, Mrs. Frank Walter of Lockport yesterday started suit for $10,000 damages against Mr. and Mrs. Albert Yost, her neighbors, and their Ouija board, charging slander. It's here that the article ends. That's quite a bit to take in, but to summarize, the Yosts, this couple in Lockport, Illinois, had their house broken into. Some money was stolen. Don't know how much. Nothing I found said. Some groceries were stolen. At minimum, some sugar. I saw that sourced elsewhere. I've read a bunch of articles about this. I'm not a great historian. I'm just telling you what I know. And as you probably remember, 25 pounds of raisins. The reason that people keep harping on that is that in 1920, prohibition was about to kick in. That would be the, uh, the dry weather referred to so obliquely in the article. And if you really wanted, you could probably make some kind of beverage out of 25 pounds of raisins and some sugar and, you know, whatever other ingredients you might have around the house. Now, none of the articles that I saw in the Chicago Tribune, the New York Tribune, or elsewhere actually came out and accused the Yosts of being moonshiners, but that's a lot of raisins to have on hand. So these two ghost nuts, the Yosts, consulted their handy Ouija board about it, which pointed them helpfully at their own friends. Who's to say? In any case, I would have to imagine that word of this quickly got around, which opened them up to a slander case from the Walters, who they accused of being criminals based on a party game. Now, unbelievably, this case went before a jury. They wasted 12 people's time with this. 13 if you count the judge. And they decided that because she was only quoting what the Ouija board said, she didn't commit any slander at all. That's from the New York Tribune, April 13th, 1921, a little over a year later. I don't know if this defense would work every time, but if it worked once, maybe it'll pan out again. It sounds to me as though you can say anything you want about anybody as long as you tell the judge that a ghost said it first. Now, if you would like to inform me of some things that ghosts have told you about your neighbors, your friends, celebrities, politicians feel free to write them into the show at uh, mailbox at neverbetter.show. We are still taking those. My cat is grabbing my leg. I've got her a little box to sit on while I'm at the computer, and I shouldn't have done that. She has very sharp claws. Kitty, would you like to say hi? You see her eyes? You go up there. There she is. Ah, foot off the microphone. Anyway, moving on. It feels a little bit blasphemous to do this without Craig, but uh, I figured it might be time to swing by the old Abby Normal stockpile. See what we got. Abby someone. 
Abby who? Abby normal. Michael will eventually get in on those as well. He just hasn't yet. One of these days. This is from November 13th, 1998. Dear Abby, this has always puzzled me. Why do people who are virtual strangers tell you their deepest secrets? I was on a first date not long ago with uh, Phil. In quotes. Before the evening was over, he'd told me about his father's attempted suicide, the fact that he hasn't spoken to his mother in more than 18 years, and his sister's many bad habits, all of which were described in detail. On another occasion, the woman seated next to me at a seminar told me more than I ever wanted to know about her struggle with infertility. What gives? From Offended in Othello, Washington. We might as well address the central irony here, just out the gate, just get it out of the way. You really want to complain about strangers coming to you with their problems. So you write to Dear Abby about it? Talk to your mom. Anyway, I don't really relate to taking offense at this, but I do relate to the sensation of being a sounding board for the general public whenever they have an issue and come across you in conversation. People have told me some stuff that I could not possibly have asked for. I had a classmate who was a few years older than I was when I was in college, who took to telling me at any opportunity she could from the first time that we encountered each other about all the problems she was having with her course load, all the problems she was having with her burnout brother, all the problems she was having with her deadbeat fiancé, you name it. But the difference between me and offended in wherever is that I live for this. I crave the detail. Give me the dirt. I'm not going to go spreading it around. It's just for me. That's all. This isn't 100% on topic, but thinking about conversations that I've had with people that ended up being much more impactful to them than I ever could have reasonably anticipated. I was at a bar once, and I was talking to some girl. She, she had brought up poetry. I didn't bring it up. There have been times when I have. This wasn't one. And she was talking about how she just started reading Charles Bukowski, who, if you don't know him, is the sort of guy that every Instagram poet with uh, cigarette butts artfully placed around the typewritten page wants to be. Uh, he's not my favorite. You know, he's kind of annoying sometimes. Um, but I, I knew one poem of his that I was, like, okay on, uh, The Bluebird, which is a poem about how even if you're a super tough whiskey cigar guy, you still have a little bit of, you know, tenderness to you. That bluebird in your heart that you dump your Jack Daniels on and shut him up, but sometimes you let him out at night, you know? But you don't cry about it. That's the, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm probably being too hard on it, but in any case, uh, I, I asked her if that was one that she'd heard of, and she went, no. And she pulled it up and just started weeping in the bar, openly crying within seconds of reading it. I was a little taken aback by it. Uh, and I didn't see her again for about a month. But when I did, uh, she actually caught my attention and said, Hey, hey, Spencer, how's it going? Check this out. And she rolled up her left sleeve. And on her shoulder, I'm rolling mine up as though I'm showing you this. Microphones don't work that way. But on her left uh, forearm, she had gotten a tattoo about the size of a Coke can of a bluebird in front of a human heart with a bunch of smoke and some, you know, some whiskey and a 
scroll that said, I haven't quite let him die. I, I, I didn't, I don't know. I still don't know what to say to that. What do you say to that? Besides, oh, wow, which I think is what I said seven or eight times. I've migrated away from Dear Abby a bit here. Um, her answer wasn't that interesting. Basically just says, sometimes people will do that. Life's like that. Deal with it, which it is. And you should. Whatever. It's Move on. I'm going to be honest. I'm not in love with doing this on my own. I am probably going to do one or two more things. And then lucky you, that'll be all. I'm going to tell you how weird some stuff is now. With no backup, no jury, just me, Judge Spencer and Executioner. Now, if this is your first episode, God, I hope it's not your first episode. This is not a typical experience. Typical experience is much worse. This is the part of the show where I find some questions on Quora.com, the Internet's refuge for all the complete freaks displaced by the shuddering of Yahoo Answers. And I tell them, and by proxy, you, how strange they are. It's usually pretty strange. Question one. Quora dweller Mimi asks, Is it wrong to lie to people about my birthday? It's not like I will lie about the year to make myself sound older or younger. I'm saying the month and day. Weirdly enough, I don't like how my birthday sounds, and it doesn't fit the vibe I want. <laughs> This is actually one that I just found a moment ago. This was not part of my initial plan for the show. Uh, I was just checking to see if there was anything better that I'd missed, and there was. There, There's a real answer to be given here by someone more qualified and interested than I am about how social media's complete permeation of all aspects of human life has led to this obsession over personal branding, lifestyle marketing, what have you. To the extent that you feel that your own birthday doesn't quite jive with the image you have of yourself, it's got to be either that or a horoscope thing, right? Like, oh, I, no, I don't, I don't really see myself as a Sagittarius. I'm much more open and warm and caring. Or I'm much more evil and a bastard. I don't really know. I, I, I don't know what's what. Is Sagittarius one of the mean ones? You know what? If they are, or if I'm wrong, don't write into the show. I, I can't care. Anyway, it is weird. It's, um, it's not the strangest thing I've ever heard of somebody doing, especially not on this website. But it is unsettling to me. It, it's, it's eerie, uncanny, that you would say, no, I, I'm, I'm not a July person. I, I'm more of an April, perhaps a late March. Because you're not. <laughs> Your birthday happened. You were born on it. The end. That's it. It's immutable. This is not something that you can go back and adjust later. And I don't have the mental framework I would need to understand why you'd even want to. We'll say this is three out of five weird. Question number two. Quora Dweller Charity X asks, Is it offensive and weird if a non-religious person has a religious name like Trinity? Cutting to the chase here. The answer is no. It's uh, honestly sick. Um, <laughs> partially to totally because I don't think most people are going to associate Trinity specifically with the Holy Trinity. They're going to be thinking about the Matrix. The biggest problem your kid's going to face is living up to that reputation and you know doing a scorpion kick from a standing position onto the head of their adversary. 
You know, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a heavy burden to carry. So you're going to want them training early and often. Don't be afraid to send them into that octagon at, you know, age four, five, maybe even three. Depends on if they're ready. I knew a guy named Zeb once, and everybody assumed it was short for Zebulon. Turns out it was just Zeb. I'm not sure if that's a biblical name or not. It must be, right? Maybe this is because I played Devil May Cry too early in life, but any sufficiently, and by sufficiently I mean overly religious name, is going to sound cool to me. Like, if you can picture a judge in 19th century America with that name, that's the stuff. Make peace, fear God, you know, one word apiece, those two. Stuff like that. Or even just weird Old Testament stuff. Enoch, Jericho. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about offending somebody. The way I feel about it is as long as you're not like the freaks who name their kids like Aryan Nation or whatever, you're fine for the most part. There are things that, you know, don't, don't name your kid Khaleesi. That's still happening. We got to do something. But this, no, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. Zero out of five. Yeah, I think that's going to do it for me. This has been, um, this is something. I don't, I don't want to do this again. I'm going to see if we can get some more people in the studio next time and hopefully deliver you a quality product. Never Better, If You Can Believe It, is produced by me. We are distributed, thank the Lord, by no one. And our theme song is Bastard Basket by Crack Cloud. I wish. Those guys are great. Well, if all goes well, I and one or more of us will see you next week. Until then... You can always write into the show, like I always tell you, by email at mailbox at neverbetter.show or by DM on Twitter at neverbettercast. All one word. No punctuation. I find it funny to still say all one word in 2022, like I'm in an AOL commercial from the 90s or something. I don't know if it lands for everybody, but I don't care. It's for me. Stay safe out there, everyone. See you next time.